I'm glad Joy chose those couple of songs that she did to, to sing there just before we came into this. Um, because, as you know from Justin's story, we're, we're talking today about tithing or giving to God. And it really doesn't make any sense to do that unless we realise how much we're indebted to God. And, and for me it was like, as we're singing those songs, I was just filled with a sense of awe and wonder and worship towards God. And I guess with our finances, that's um, an extension of our worship. Just following your message. Okay. Now, out of all of the topics I could preach on, I'm making a bit of a confession here, that there is one which fills me with fear and trepidation. Um, It's one which I'm really reluctant to preach on because I don't want to be seen as that sort of preacher. And I don't want this church to become known as that sort of church and it's because we're talking about giving or tithing. In some churches you'll get a message on giving or tithing every single Sunday and it usually comes just before the offering's taken up to remind everybody to put plenty of cash on the plate. I once heard a pastor from a mega church telling us his preaching plan. And what he did was he preached on four different topics over four weeks and then um, he'd go back to the first topic again. So you'd just get a round robin of these three topics. So every month you'd get a message on being saved. Second week you'd get a message on evangelism and that had included lessons on sharing your faith. Uh, the third week would be about serving and that also included our spiritual gifts and how we can serve God. And every fourth week he'd give a message on tithing because churches need money to run. And a mega church needs mega amounts of money to run in a mega sort of a way. And it's easy to see why the Christian church can get a bad name for being money hungry. And we've all heard of and seen some very prominent pastors who have fallen from grace, I suppose. Um, Tele-evangelists have been caught out in greed and amassed fortunes for themselves. Um, You too sum it up pretty well in a song that they sing, Bullet the blue sky, there's a spoken bit that says, and I can't tell the difference between the ABC News, Hill Street Blues and a preacher on the old time gospel hour stealing money from the sick and the old. Well, the God I believe in isn't short of cash, mister. And I don't want us here, this little gathering, to be known as that sort of church that's just after your money all the time. But at the same time, I am charged with teaching the whole word of God, not just the bits that don't scare me. And one truth that I've found is that often the last part of us to be saved is our hip pocket. And maybe that's because people like me have shied away from the responsibility of teaching what the Bible does say about giving and tithing. Now, that, of course, is one of the advantages of doing what we do here. Um, We preach our way through whole books of the Bible, right? So I preach my way through an entire book and I avoid nothing that's in it. And that way I don't keep preaching on my own hobby horses and I only bring up topics as often as what God brings them up in his word. And so today's the day, lesson on, on tithing and giving. And if that's a topic that we haven't considered, well, we should have. It's a very important part of our lives. It's a very important part of discipleship. So, I guess the question we always have to wonder is, well, how much money do we put on the plate? 
Or, of course, here we might say, well, how much money do we put in the little wooden box that's always there? Or how much should we send off to missionaries? Or how much should we put towards chaplaincies? Let me tell you, there's lots of great ministries out there craving our financial support. And the need is way beyond our capacity to give. I don't think there's anybody here, unless I don't know your bank balances very well, who could possibly fund all of the ministry needs that are needed about the place. So it always comes back to the question, well, if we don't have the ability to fully look after these things, what should our bit be? Well, some people will tell you the tithe. The tithe's the way to go. That's God's model for giving. You have to give the 10%. But, of course, then the discussion comes up, well, is that 10% of gross or 10% of net? Is that 10% before tax or is that 10% after tax? But then others will say, no, 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 no. The tithe tithe is an Old Testament principle um, and that's for those who are under the Old Covenant. But we're not under the Old Covenant anymore. We're under the New Covenant. It's a covenant of grace. We don't have to keep these rules and regulations. You forget all about the tithe and just do what you want. Which is it? Well, today I'm going to take you through a bit of a logical lesson on what the Bible says about tithing and what the Bible says about giving. And then I haven't told Robin this, but I'm actually going to expose ourselves a bit here and share with you how we apply that in our lives. Um, Not to build us up, but just to give you a practical example of how we've decided to do it. But what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to tell you what you have to do. Because that's something that's between you and God. I'm going to share with you what the scriptures say about it. I'm going to tell you how the Holy Spirit has helped us to understand it and I pray that you will allow the Holy Spirit to guide you in your giving. You happy with that? You okay with that? Righto. So let's start with tithing. Seems as that's what our Bible passage talked about there. The Pharisees, they're pretty good at tithing. What is a tithe? Well, Justin's just told the kids. The word actually, the word tithe actually means one-tenth. So that's a pretty simple word. It means one-tenth, 10%. Same amount as GST for those who are wondering. Um, Israel were an agrarian society. That means they grew their own tucker. Everybody had an inheritance of land and so everybody had the potential to grow food and fibre for themselves. And Leviticus 27 verse 30 says, every tithe, right, every tenth of the land whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is Yahweh's. It is to be holy to Yahweh. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. All right, so I'm not sure under what circumstances you would want to redeem it. Maybe, maybe you'd had a really good crop out of this particular area and you wanted that seed to sow again. Well, if you wanted to keep that particular seed then you'd have to add another fifth to it. So another two-tenths. So you'd have to give three-tenths to God in return for that one-tenth that you're going to keep back from him. But you couldn't do that with animals. In every tithe, sorry, and every tithe of the herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to Yahweh. One shall not differentiate differentiate between good or bad, neither shall he make a substitute for it, and if he does substitute for it, then both it and the substitute shall be holy, it shall not be redeemed. So for us, I I know sheep, so I'll talk sheep, 
You know, if you've got the drafting race there and the sheep coming through, right, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, one for God. One, two, three. And that's how you separated them off, just as they came. Right? He's talking about those who go under the rod. I guess they shepherd probably would have had a rod there and right. That, that's the tenth one. Right, you that way. Right. Now the rest keep going this way. You're not to go, oh, you just stay back a bit. Yeah, you maggoty one. You go there. That's not how it was supposed to go. If the maggoty one happened to come under, happened to go through the race, at that point, well, God got the maggoty one. But I'm sure God wouldn't have let that happen too often. (laughs) But, okay, so one-tenth of the animals that had matured, one-tenth of the grain that was produced, a tenth of the fruit that was grown, were to be given to God. But why? For what purpose? What happened to this enormous amount of produce? Let's, let's not forget here, we're talking here 10% of the gross national product of Israel. That's an enormous amount of produce. What on earth could God do with it all? Well, I'll tell you what happened to it. It went to the tribe of Levi. When I said that God gave an inheritance of, land, of agricultural land to the 12 tribes of Israel, that wasn't entirely true because there was one tribe that missed out. That was the tribe of Levi. And they didn't miss out because they were being punished for something. They missed out because they were being rewarded. Now, that sounds a bit back to front, doesn't it? Um, usually, if you want to reward somebody, you'd give them a double inheritance of land. Uh, but, no, they missed out because they were being rewarded. Back in Exodus chapter 32 is where we find the people of Israel running amok. So Moses had led the people out of Egypt. They'd crossed over the Red Sea. They were on their way to the Promised Land and they pull up at at, uh, Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. They get told the Ten Commandments. Then Moses goes up to meet with God. And Moses is up there for quite a while and the people down below are starting to think, hello, what's going on? Moses is gone. God's deserted us. What's happening? We need another God to look after us. And So they gather all their gold earrings together, melt them down and build themselves a calf. You know the story? When Moses came down from the mountain, he was devastated by what they'd done. they just received the Ten Commandments and among it was have no idols. And what's the first thing they do? They built an idol. And he came down and he's devastated. And he calls to the people of Israel, who's on God's side? Who's on Yahweh's side? Come to me. And the Levites were the ones who stood and they went over to Moses. They stood against the golden calf. They stood against the idol worshippers. And at Moses' command, they took their swords and they killed 3,000 of the offenders. Now, for this reason, for their loyalty to God and for their standing against idolatry, God rewarded them and designated this tribe of Levi to serve him in the tabernacle. Now, if they are going to be serving God in the tabernacle, they weren't going to have time to be tending farms. Um, They answered God's call and they were rewarded by becoming ministers of the tabernacle, just like people of God answer the call, call of God today. So they received this tithe as their income. Now, the Levites, don't confuse those with the priests. The priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests, okay? So the priests were from the line of Aaron, the descendants of Aaron, who were Levites, but only his family became priests. But not all Levites were. 
So the rest of them are Levites, were called by God to serve in the tabernacle but not as priests. So they used to look after, look after everything. They'd carry the Ark of the Covenant. They'd pack up the, they'd pack up the um, tabernacle when it needed to be moved. They'd shift it all. They'd transport it. They'd move it. They were also responsible for civic type things like regulating weights and measures to make sure that everybody used the right weights when they're buying and selling and this sort of thing. So they performed a lot of public service and they performed a lot of religious service and their payment for this was the tithe. And so the Levites were to receive this tithe from the rest of Israel as their right. And if everybody gave them the full share of the 10%, then they'd have just the same amount as everybody else because then they had to tithe to God. The Levites were not excluded from tithing to God. They tithed to God as well. So they received a tenth from everybody. From that, they gave a tenth on to the priests. And that would be there to support the priests as well as to pay for the running of the temple. And if you've ever had anything to do with church finances, I actually reckon that's a pretty good number to aim for. 90% of the offerings to be spent on ministry, supporting missionaries, pastors, whatever, and then 10% of the offerings to go into maintenance and, and, and costs of property and so on. Okay, so that was the tithe. Tithe of 10% that was produced. 10% grows 10% before tax, if you're wondering the answer to that question. The second point I want to make is in the, in the Old Testament, the tithe was separate to generosity and, and Justin also brought that out in the children's story as well. For the Levites, the tithe was their right. You, you weren't giving a Levite charity by giving to him the 10%, by bringing that 10% to the temple. These men worked full time in God's service and it was their right to receive this. They went without um, earning a wage. They went without owning land in return for receiving this tithe. And they had to receive this so that they could feed their families and care for them and so that um, they could have a similar status of living to everybody else who did receive an inheritance of land. So, in the Old Testament, the tithe was not charity, it was their right. But, God is also very concerned for the poor and the helpless, for the sick, the crippled, the lame, for the blind, the deaf, the widow, the fatherless, for all those who cannot take care of themselves, dare I say, the alien, the refugee. You cannot read the Old Testament prophets. You cannot read the Gospels without this fact glaring you in the face that God cares for those who have nothing. And God is angry when we don't look after those who have nothing and he's very pleased when we do. So the Old Testament principle was give what you owe in the tithe, not the second best bits, but the one-tenth as it comes. And the second principle was give generously to those who are in need. So, you with me so far? That was the Old Testament. And it is true that that was all part of Old Covenant living. And if you've ever been taught by somebody the rule 
that you must tithe 10%, well, that's wrong because it's not a rule. We don't live by rules. We're under the new covenant and we live by grace. The tithe is not a rule that we have to keep, but does that mean that we're exempted from giving? No, not. We're not. We don't have any Levites in our midst, but right from the very beginnings of the church, right from the very first disciples and even right from Jesus Christ himself, the principle has always been there of the right for those who who work in service of the gospel to be supported by the rest of the church. When I say the rest of the church, I'm talking about us Christians, okay? When we talk about church, we're not talking about an institution, we're talking about us Christians. And just like the Levites were not receiving charity, neither are those who labour for the gospel. It is a right for them to receive money to live off of and it's a duty for us to provide for them. In 1 Timothy 5 it says, For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the labourer deserves his wages. And that's where he's talking, he says that when he's talking about those who are in ministry service, um, the labourer deserves his wages. I sometimes joke about having a real job to fund my ministry habit. That's wrong. It's a joke that I've carried on and I've probably carried it on long enough because I was just told the other day that there are other Christian workers in town who have been offended by me saying it. And they are quite right. Full-time Christian workers are in a job and I should stop joking about that. Um, And they deserve pay as their right, not as charity. So if Christian work is to be funded... Who does the funding? There was a minister once who got up and he said to his congregation, now, I've got two pieces of news for you. Uh, firstly, God has provided the full finances required for ministry in this town. And everybody yelled out, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And he says, now, the second piece of news is it's still in your pockets. That There was no second hallelujah. All right, we know where it's got to come from. Obviously, from each of us, how do we know what we should give? Well, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's plenty of lessons on giving. And we could start right here at the passage that we had this morning. The Pharisees and the scribes tithed everything, even down to the herbs in the garden. Can you imagine that? Right, Robin says, Michael, we're having, having roast mutton tonight. I want you to go out and pick me some mint. We're going to sort of put some mint with the mutton. Righto, so I go out and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine bits of mint for us and one to put in the plate on Sunday morning. Can you imagine that? How, how fastidious they were in making sure that one-tenth of everything they grew, even that, that mint leaf, made its way into the offering. Now, Jesus got up them not for tithing, but for neglecting justice, mercy and faithfulness. Now, most of us reading with New Testament eyes just look at it and go, yep, okay, he's getting up and for doing that. But we don't go on and get the other part. He says, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. That's an important bit of a phrase there. Don't neglect your tithe. Have mercy, justice, 
and faithfulness. But don't neglect these other things as well. Still give to God, but also be generous and giving hearts to others on top of that. Now that sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? Well, that's pretty much exactly what we find the Spirit coming through in the Old Testament. Give the tithe as as the right to those who have given up their own source of income so that they can concentrate on service to God and be generous to those who are in need as part of your regular life. Don't just go, right, well, I've given to the church. Oh, you don't have any lunch. Sorry, I've already given to God today. We have to care for those who are in need. And so the principle that I've always had right through my working life is the tithe. And I've taken it as 10% of the gross as the starting point of our offering toward Christian ministry. It's the first line on our personal budget. And then be generous to the poor after that. If I don't look at it, sorry, but I don't look at it as a tithe. It is not a law, it is not a rule. Please don't hear me saying to you that you have to do this. I look at it personally as a starting point. Um, for those who, who operated a bit of heavy, heavy machinery, you've you got an oil pressure gauge, hey? Where should that oil pressure gauge be? It's a very... It sort of goes up and down a bit, doesn't it? But if it gets down a below a certain point, you start to get worried, don't you? And you think, there's something wrong. If the oil pressure's up, it's, yeah, that's fine, it's okay. But if it gets down to a certain point, you go, ooh, there's something not right here. need a bit of maintenance or I need a bit of adjustment or whatever. Now, for me, the tithe, the 10%, is like that oil pressure gauge. If it gets down, if my giving gets down to about there, it's like, ooh, I need to recalibrate the way that I'm living my life. I'm spending too much money on myself if I can't afford to give money away to God. So to me it's not a law, but it's a useful measuring stick. I want to share with you now though a greater influence on our giving. And it's something that Paul said. When the Apostle Paul was urging the Corinthian church to give, in 2 Corinthians he said this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. And there's more. He continues on. If you want to, you can read it when you go home. That's, that's from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. But what are the principles that I find in this? 
Firstly, give as you have decided in your heart to give. Sometimes we make the decision, right, I'm going to give and I'm going to support this particular ministry and I'm going to do it regularly, but then we just never get around to it. Give as you have decided in your heart to give. If the Holy Spirit has put it on your heart to support a certain minister or missionary or whatever in what they're doing, well, it's up to you to make sure that it happens. Because any minister or missionary not worth his, oh, sorry, worth his salt are not going to be chasing you up. Um, let me tell you, that, that just makes, makes you feel like, like you're just chasing people for their money. Once you decide to do it, it's up to you. Make sure it gets done. Second principle, don't do it reluctantly. We don't give to God because we feel we have to. God loves a cheerful giver. God loves it when we get joy out of giving and it is a joy to give. If you love God, you'll have joy in giving back to him. If you love what God is doing in a particular community or through a particular ministry or in a particular mission, you'll love to be a part of that ministry and join with that ministry by supporting that ministry. Why do you think parents get so much joy at Christmas time? It's because we've got an excuse to give to our kids. We can give to our kids at Christmas time without thinking we're spoiling them. Hey, we love giving to our kids. It gives us joy. We get joy out of giving. You see, the Holy Spirit in our heart can achieve what the law was never able to do. In all areas of what the law tried to do, the Holy Spirit can do what it couldn't. There used to be a law. Right, you have to give 10% of everything you grow to God. That law failed. And of course, when it failed, the first ones to suffer were who? The Levites. They had no land. When people started saying, right, well, we're going to keep this for ourselves instead of giving it to God, it was the Levites who suffered. The law of tithing leads to questions like, is it 10% of gross or 10% of net? Is it 10% before tax or 10% after tax? And if I'm asking those sorts of questions, then I'm treating tithing as a matter of law. And we've got to get past law. With the Holy Spirit in our heart, the Holy Spirit can achieve what the law cannot. And giving becomes a joy. It's not a rule. And the way that I've looked at it is if these guys, if these Pharisees could tithe out of compulsion, well, if the Holy Spirit is in my heart, I shouldn't have any trouble at all doing it out of love. Third principle, we'll always have enough. God provides seed for the sower. I've never seen anybody starved to death because they've supported Christian mission. In my experience, when we've given, we've always had enough. Fourth principle. When we give, in return we receive. Now some places will tell you, 
in terms of financial blessings and sometimes God does reward us with financial blessings. But more often we receive spiritual blessings which are, by the way, far more beneficial. Verse 10, he supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Sorry, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. All right? So when we give, God will make sure that we have enough, not just enough to get by, but enough so that we can keep on giving and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Have you noticed that you know, when somebody gives you love, it's easier for you to give love to other people? Have you ever noticed that when somebody turns up on your doorstep with a meal, like they've known that you've had a tough week, they drop a meal in, doesn't that sort of spark the thing inside you go, I can do this for somebody else? Yeah. This is those who will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. When we receive, we want to give more. Fifth principle. Those who give partake in the harvest of righteousness. Not all of us are evangelists, but we can help support evangelists. Not all of us are preachers, but we can help support preachers. Not all of us are pastors, but we can help support pastors. Not all of us are translators or missionaries or chaplains or healers, but we can support these people who are. And when we support these people, guess what? We're actually joining with them and enabling them. We're working with them in the ministry that God has called them and us too. I know if you've ever noticed, if you've ever been supporting missionaries or whatever, usually they'll give you sort of maybe a monthly or every couple of months a, a bit of a letter telling you what's going on and telling you what, you what they'd really like you to be praying for. This is because they're involving us in this overall ministry that they're a part of. But we're not just somebody external and go, okay, it's my job, I have to give certain proportion of my money away, so it might as well go to you as anybody else. That's not how it works. We're part- participating with them in the mission that God is calling them and us to. And that's why they keep, you, keep us informed. Right? So, so that's some of the principles. Um, you can probably find some more if you search the scriptures, but we've only got a certain amount of time today. Now I told you at the beginning that I was going to share with you what the Bible says about it and then I'd share with you how we apply it in our lives and I've already done a bit of that along the way. When I was a young fella, young men often tend to live by the law rather than by grace and that was the case for me. Um, I, I latched onto the principle of tithing and for me, when I first started out, it was a matter of law. And um, let me tell you, for those who say you can't possibly tithe, rubbish. I did it for years and I did it as a matter of law and through a number of different kinds of working circumstances. If a tithe is the first line on your budget and, and the main expense of your budget that everything else revolves around, it can be done. 
But as I grew older, I began to understand the difference between Old Covenant and New Covenant and I understood that I didn't have to keep on tithing as a law. But I knew it could be done. So why would I give any less? Um, What could possibly be my motivation for giving less? For me... To give less, was that a craving of the flesh or was it a craving of the spirit? Well, I, knew, I can tell you very quickly what it was. It was a craving of the flesh. The spirit wasn't saying, Michael, give less to ministry. The spirit fills me with joy when we support ministry. But the flesh is always competing for the dollar. True? The ministries that we support now with our money at this stage are mainly Bush Disciples and Chaplaincy because we really value local ministry. But then it's very important for us to be generous to those in need. So on top of our tithe, we sponsor children in compassion and we give to others who are in need as the need arises. Now, I'm not telling you this to put us up on a pedestal or whatever. It's just sometimes it's helpful to have an example of how real people Other Christians apply biblical principles in their lives. That's how the Holy Spirit has led us to the point that we're at and with our giving. My challenge for you today is if you truly want to know God's will for you in the area of giving, search the scriptures and pray for the Holy Spirit to guide you in God's will for your giving. Pray that the Holy Spirit will guide you to ministries that he wants you to support. And remember, don't just support in financial ways. Support in, in physical ways and in prayer. You don't have to mirror what I do because giving isn't a law. But when God speaks and when God guides you, Obey him immediately. Because when we give, we're actually giving what we've already given to God. When you became a Christian, you made Jesus Christ Lord. Now for Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life means he's Lord of every part of you, everything you have, everything you earn, everything you own. It's already his. And we should be honouring him in everything that we do, including what we do with our money. So when you believe that it's time to give, you're only giving what you've already given. Questions? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you have given us so very much. What offering could we bring you Pay you back for what you've done. Nothing. We couldn't possibly do it. Lord, we give you thanks that salvation is a free gift received from you. We give you thanks, Lord, that Jesus Christ died to set us free from sin and death. What offering could pay you back for that? Nothing. But Lord, we also thank you that you are not a God of law. You're not a God who demands that we pay up or lose salvation. That's not you. But Lord, I do thank you that your Holy Spirit lives in our hearts. 
I thank you, Lord, for that big word we call sanctification that means that you continue to change us from the inside. You continue to make us more and more like your son. And Lord, we just offer ourselves to you and ask that you would do your work of sanctification in us in the area of money and giving. Lord, not that we would see that by giving money that we then don't have any responsibility for ministry ourselves, but Lord, just out of love for you that we would give, out of the value of the ministries that you've that you've got all over the world that we would give. Lord, we just ask that you would do this work in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name.